Hey, everybody. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Certainty Talks. On this show, we talk about certainty, a topic that feels more important today than ever before, but all in all, always an important topic. Today, we've got my good friend and business partner in the Whale Club here, Paul Sparks, not only a successful real estate investor, but also a certified certainty advisor. And we run this show because a wise man once asked a question, if you look at the last three years of your business, five months, and turn all the negative months into zeros, what would happen to your bottom line? That wise man is Dan Nicholson, a mentor to myself and Paul. And we're here to achieve financial certainty by rigging the game in your favor. I'm also on a mission to create 100 millionaires. If you do everything we talk about on the show, you can be there in the next five to seven years. If you'll take consistent action, you will become one. Now, if you get value today, please share this episode right now. That way we can all grow together. And throughout this show, you're going to hear us speaking just a little bit differently, slightly different language and verbiage. Might cause some confusion. That's okay. Keep the loop open. Don't try to Google this. Just be receptive. And, you know, please just write your takeaways in the live chat. And after the show, put in your six-word update in the comments below. So today we're going to be talking about the danger in seeking consensus. But before we do that, let's jump into six-word updates. You want to go first, Paul? My six-word update is long week. Need time to recharge. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we went. We flew into uh, Tampa for the Collective Genius event on Sunday. You know, first thing out, flight out Sunday morning. Um, those are just packed days of, you know, information and networking. And um, so Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, all sorts of networking. Uh, Thursday, I got back to just all the pile of stuff that I had to take care of. It's a long day there. And then all day today, I was at a, 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 a conference where they're talking about mass timber, which is a pretty cool uh, innovation in, in building materials. It's like a replacement for concrete and steel and cool stuff like that. A buddy of mine wanted me to come. So yeah, just putting out a lot of energy this week, and I'm looking forward to recharging over the next couple of days. So gotcha. How about you, Steve? Uh, for me, the six word update is people think they're not most people. And so like... You know, when we're judging all these other people, we fail to recognize that we're included in that group of people uh, that we're judging, which is really kind of why we're, why we're talking about the danger in seeking consensus. So, Paul, danger of seeking consensus, what is that about? Well, there's, there's certain, um, I think we're just going to pull this apart in a bunch of different ways and talk about it from a bunch of different angles, but... You know, we've been taught a lot of our lives to go out and ask for advice, right? You know, we want to do something. And what's the first thing that we do is we go out and we ask a couple people, well, what would you do? Well, if you were me, how would you handle this? Or, you know, if you're going to get into real estate, how would you approach this? And, uh, you know, this is a concept that, that, only recently I, I learned from Nick and Dan and through taking the CCA and reading the book, Rigging the Game around the concept of playing your game. And when we seek consensus too early in the process, a lot of times that's just a, uh, we're compensating for the fact that we haven't really clearly defined what we want in life. So we just go to somebody else to try to say, what would you do? Mm -hmm. I mean, Steve, I'm sure you've had countless number of people come to you and say, Steve Trang, if you were me, what would you do in real estate? And uh, there was a time where I would have just prescribed. I would have just, oh, it's easy. I'm glad you asked. You came to the right place. And I would just start telling them what to do. I mean, it was probably the worst for me when uh, I was helping people make valuable, really significant life decisions, right? As a realtor, you're, I'm showing you some houses. It's like a 50-50, like, which way do you want to go? Like, Steve, like, which one should I buy? It's like, this is your house. Like, it can't get any more personal than your house and your family and all your life decisions. I can't tell you which kitchen to create memories in. But, I mean, I also knew if I didn't help them pick, they weren't going to pick. So I had to help. I had to make that decision. But it was always, like, the ultimate for me of preference versus binary is, like, which, which house should I, should I buy? Yeah. So what is, you said preference versus binary, and that's the second wealth commandment that we talk about. And what does that mean to you? I mean, we talk about preference versus binary in the past is that there are things that are either true or they're not. 
fairly binary. And in preference, well, is like, what would be an example of that? Um, well, is the sun up? Mm-hmm. Right? Is the sun up? Um, are we live on YouTube right now? Which can be true or false, depending on when you listen to this. <laughs> right? Sure. Um, you know, did we have a, I guess not that we have a good event today, but you know, um, you know, but these are just factual. You can Google it, right? Mm-hmm. Or you can chat GPT it, depending on what you want to do today, right? But there's an answer out there that's a right answer, right? What's two plus two? I would say it's always been four, but given Common Core and everything else today, who knows? Um, but that's that's binary. Preferences, you know, like what's your favorite color? Or Paul, can you pick my favorite color for me? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and it and it depends, right? It, it's it, the preference question comes down to like, well, it depends every single time. What's what is you know, what color is the sky? Well, 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 yeah. I mean, maybe that's not the best answer. That's the one I've uh, the question I've used in the past. Well, the sky is blue. It's 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 a right or wrong answer. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you ask somebody, what's my favorite color? You know, a, a lot of people are quick to give advice, right? They're quick to tell you, well, your favorite color should be blue. Your well, favorite I mean, color should be green. But, I mean, most people, Paul, the, colors, the favorite color is blue, so yours should be blue. Right. According to research. Yeah, but, you know, so, so the danger in seeking consensus is that you're asking someone to make a, a deci- well, to give you advice on something and they don't really have all the information, right? I mean, let's both agree, because we'll, we'll frame this around real estate. Mm-hmm. Is, so is there a right or wrong way to do real estate? The beauty in real estate is that you literally can create a business that's actually catered to your personal preferences. So right. um, I started as a realtor. I read Think and Grow, not Think and Grow, I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. So I was like, oh, passive income is the way to go. And then I meet a real estate broker. It's like, oh, that's fascinating. Let me become a real estate agent. And after about 10 or 11 years of abuse, it's like, you know what? I actually like this flipping houses thing better. And then after that, it's like, you know, I actually kind of like this wholesaling thing better. But I didn't know what I wanted until I had been doing this for quite some time. Took a few years to realize I actually don't like being a realtor. Turns out. I mean, there's a lot of that's not being considered when you ask that question. You know, if I was to come to you and say, well, hey, I want to get started in real estate. I'm sure a lot of people ask you this. Mm -hmm. What should I do? You know, and again, (laughs) which is frustrating for them to hear. Exactly. (laughs) But what but what you're really doing is you're is you're pushing it back to and we've talked about this so many times on this show, the solvable problem. Mm-hmm. And and there's a reason why we talk about this so often is because so many so few people actually have clarity on that. I'm not talking about setting yearly goals. I'm talking about like what is the problem you're actually trying to solve in your life? Mm-hmm. And first of all, we got to get clear on that. So right now we're going through the the next group of whales. There's about, I think there's going to be actually like 24 starting next week, which is great. Awesome. Um, but the very first question that we're talking about is what's the problem you're trying to solve? Yep. And without having clarity on that, it's really difficult to try to pick what strategy or what way you should go. Um, and, and I think that's also frustrated me in the past because now that I look back, I can see that most people don't think that they're most people. Like you said in your six word update, yeah. most people think that uh, at least the people giving advice think that, well, I've figured it out, right? I know the best way to do this. And they're just, they're quick to give advice. Here's what you should do. Mm-hmm. Um, well, now and, that, that's and a blanket that point, statement. Not everyone's that. Well, but, but on that point, right? Like I figured it out. And really the truth is, the truth is somewhere in there. And the truth is, if you figured it out, you figured it out for you. You figured it out yeah. for you. And at this age, with this risk tolerance, with this cash position, with this cash flow position, with this net worth in this city, right? Like there's so many things at play here. Cause I was actually on a panel at the Arizona Rio, this is a few months ago. 
And the lady's like, I got stuck with this flip. What should I do with it? Should I turn it into an Airbnb or try to sell it at a loss or what, right? And on this panel, there's me, there's a flipper, there's a buy and hold guy, and um, I can't remember what the fourth guy was. I feel really bad about this. But three of them gave like very specific advice, which sounded like advice they would have given themselves. And my answer, which is totally unpleasant on a panel, is like, I don't know. I don't know the first thing about what's going on in your world. Um, mm -hmm. So the answer really depends on what is your cash position? What is your monthly income position? What is your risk tolerance on running an Airbnb? What is your history of running an Airbnb? Ask all those questions. I don't think I got a sad. I don't think anyone was satisfied with my answer, but that's the only answer I can give now knowing what I know. Open loop stuff. We talk all the time about the danger of trying to close loops too quickly because that's what we want. We just want resolution. Just tell me what I should do so I can go out and get some relief from this anxiety that I'm feeling. Mm -hmm. But what we know is that, you know, there's a lot of there are a lot of binary yes or no, right or wrong, zero or one based questions out there. But most questions are preference-based and the answer is unfortunately it depends right and we don't want to hear that it depends and so let's talk about you know some examples of preferences when we say that word i think i want to bring some clarity to what we mean by that so like you just kind of alluded to it there um but like what's your risk tolerance you know, um, mm -hmm. how does that factor in to decision making? Are you someone that's got a really high risk tolerance? Well, then certain strategies might better fit fit the, fit your personality. You got right. a really low risk tolerance, then then doing a, a you know a, a pop top may not be your best strategy. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, like if you were in um, San Francisco, you're like, I want to do deals in my backyard. What should I do? I would definitely not recommend Burr. Right. It just is not going to be it's just not going to be a model that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I think if we were to say, like, based off what I've learned, the absolute worst violation of this principle, I would say, is Dave Ramsey in debt. Mm. Right. He's like, no one should have debt. Debt is bad. But he's also a person that got crushed by debt at one point in his life. But he is prescribing a debt-free lifestyle for 100% of America when that is not true for 100% of America. Mm. And you said uh, the word should, which I'm now, it triggers me. I'm like, oh, don't tell me what I should or shouldn't do because you don't understand my preferences. You don't understand my, you know, another one would be strengths and weaknesses, mm -hmm. right? What are, you, what are you good at? When I ask that question, you know, should I, Steve, should I do cold calling or should I do direct mail? I well, don't know. <laughs> depends. <laughs> what does. would that depend on? Uh, cold calling, direct mail, it depends on what are your resources like? What's your budget? Can you take calls all, at all hours of the day? If you're cold calling, really, you're only taking leads during the hours you're cold calling. If you're doing direct mail, you got to be attached to your phone 24-7, right? So you have systems in place to deal with all that. You have the KPI metrics because direct mail is expensive, super lucrative, super lucrative and profitable done right, super expensive and costly of done wrong. So, you know, how good are your systems? How good are you? Um, you have six months of reserves for marketing, right? If you don't have at least three months of reserves in marketing, you shouldn't start direct mail. So lots of questions yeah. asked there. Uh, so like we talk about, it, right? Like the, the, uh, the danger or, you know, how we resolved it. But so what is a situation that you've experienced where you felt like seeking consensus set you back in one way or another? Man, uh, I hope this doesn't rub, rub too many people the wrong way, but I'm just going to tell it, tell it like it is from, from my perspective. Um, you know, I was a sales guy, um, for about eight years before I got into real estate and I, my strategy was always to get one or two deals every single year. And like, it drove my managers nuts because I would make my entire quota in one deal. Bam. Right. <laughs> and, uh, that was just my style. I, I don't know why that was the case. I just sort of gravitated towards that. In fact, 
uh, at my old company, they called me the whale hunter because like everyone out there is catching fish on the reg, but like Paul's out here building this, you know, thing to take down this one whale. And it's, it has a lot to do with my risk tolerance, right? Like if that deal didn't go through, that's going to be a really tough year for me. Yeah. Um, but that's how I approached business. And for right or for wrong, that was a preference for me, right? It depends. Is that the right way to do it? Well, it depends. It worked for me. I was very successful doing that, you know? And so then I got into to the real estate game and I had a couple, a couple guys, actually, I bought a house from uh, a brand new townhouse and I got to meet the two guys that built that house. And I was just blown away by not only by the product, but also by them and, and their expertise and their abilities to, to do what they do. And so I said to myself, well, I want to figure out how to get into business with those guys. What is it that they need? What can I add value to? Um, and of course, you know, there's really only three, I say there's three sides of the, the real estate deal triangle. And so you've got sourcing, who's finding the deal. You've got uh, funding, who's bringing the cash. And then you've got operations, who's running it and managing it and doing all that. It's like, well, I don't know anything about operating a, a construction <laughs> project. So I, that one's out. Can't really do much there. But I do know how to find deals. And I'm pretty sure I can raise money because it's a sales. It's, a, it's sales, right? Um, so what did I do? I went out and I started kind of trying to find deals, trying to find capital. And then I got around a bunch of folks who were doing businesses that were really high volume. And got into, you know, a mastermind. Again, Collective Genius has been fantastic for me. But what I did is <laughs> I got trapped by watching all these other people build these businesses. Turns out, I actually hate that business. Uh, I don't want to do volume. I don't want to do 5, 10, 15 deals a month. I don't even really want to do three deals a month. I'd like to do one, maybe two deals a month. But because I got trapped in, in asking you know, an, an entire community, well, what should I do in my business? They were giving me all sorts of fantastic advice, but for someone else, right? Mm -hmm. They don't know my preferences. They didn't know I was the whale hunter. They didn't know that I'm not a very good sales manager. They didn't know that I need really simple businesses because when it starts getting really uh, complicated is when I start losing interest. And so I had to unwind that significantly. And starting about the middle of last year, I realized, oh, my God, I've been building a business based on seeking consensus from other people. Here's what I would or what they would do. But it's not what I would do. Once I got clear on that, what the problem I was trying to solve, what my preferences and biases were, I'm now able to start, you know, getting back to my strengths, which is doing bigger deals and big rips, right? As opposed to a lot of small deals stacked up. Again, that might fit somebody else's skill set and preferences much better. It just doesn't with me. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, um, you know, it was really cool. You know, we talk about collective genius. There's a guy in there, Eric Guideson, who I, I look up to tremendously. And he he and and uh, and Phil in San Diego, they run like the best like operations for recruiting, right? Like they have the best recruiting onboarding I've ever seen. Right. I, I would even argue outside of real estate, you know, and I was like, Garrett, can you just do me a favor? I just want to learn a little bit more about, about myself. Can you send me whatever tests you have everyone take before you even interview them? And he did. And I took it. I looked at it. I was like, well, that's an interesting. I'm not sure how I feel how I feel about all these results. And I, and I asked him, like, hey, what do you think? And he's like, well, I would never hire you. It's <laughs> like, okay, what does that mean? He's like, you're unemployable. I would never hire you to run sales. I would never hire you to lead any division. I was like, wow, that's extraordinarily direct, <laughs> right? <laughs> He's like, well, I'll tell you what, I'd be happy to partner with you in any business venture. It's like, okay, well, there's something <laughs> promising there, right? And basically what he said was my need for autonomy is so freaking high that I am unmanageable, which obviously is the case, right? And so when we talk about preference versus binary or, what, what pref or consensus, sorry, what consensus looks like, this is not quite consensus, but it's like 99%. And 99% is go to school, get a, go get good grades, go get a job, go work nine to five, retire at 65, right? And there's nothing inherently wrong with that message. <clears throat> I think it's a good message for at least 90% of the population, but it's yeah. not for 100% of the population. 
And it's a generalized message, right? Yeah. For the average person. But like, if you're trying to live a, a above average life, uh, you really shouldn't be taking advice built for the average. It doesn't mean that they're wrong. It just means that like, you have to consider the context of who's giving the, the advice, right? And, and your own solvable problem and your, your own biases and preferences and all this sort of stuff, man, that is, I'm so glad you brought that example up. Because yeah. how many of us were told you got to get that, you know, 4.0 in high school. Why? So you can get a great, uh, get into a great college. Why? So you can get a great job, obviously, and right. work at a great place so that you can make a bunch of money and you can retire at 65. Right. And our parents weren't wrong telling us that. No, they were not. They were wrong. Uh, I shouldn't say they were wrong, but like. They're right in their case. Mm -hmm. That may have been what they did. And now, of course, they're, you know, giving it's advice. It's what they desired. It's what they desired yeah. for them, for sure. And I think, you know, going back to you, so that's where, like, you know, things can go wrong. And it's not like it's terrible, right? Like, I don't regret it. I didn't, like, leave college with all this massive debt. It was just, like, so many people are like, so you went and got a master's degree. You went, went to go work for Intel. And you did all these things. And you're just going to throw it all away? It's like, or, or. I'm going to throw away the last 70 years of my life <laughs> trying to, you know, you know, like investor frame, knowing what I know now, would I do this again? Like, should I just be an engineer for the rest of my life? Because that was the consensus, right? There were only two people that told me to go to quit my job. Everyone else was like, you should definitely stay at Intel. You're making a lot of money and you're not working, you're not working that hard. That was the overwhelming consensus, right? So... Um, but yeah, I mean that for me, that is an, an area where if you're waiting, if you want everyone to agree, or was it the way Nick and Dan put it is if you're, if you're, uh, along with the ride, not, not their words, but if you're along with the ride with consensus, then you're going to get mediocre results. That's right. If you're asking for generalized advice, you're going to get generalized results, yeah. average results. So, you know, do you think that extraordinary people? People that do extraordinary things are taking advice from the average. No, they're not. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, I don't know. Elon kind of is on Twitter. <laughs> He's just doing his little Twitter polls. <laughs> well, what does Nick and Dan say that like the majority of people that are, you know, they were weird before they were eccentric, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. You know, the weird people aren't sitting out here saying, well, what, what should I do? You know, what would you do if you were me? They're, they're making their own decisions from their own operating system. And then they're seeking consensus after they've, uh, you know, kind of determined their own solvable problem, determined their own preferences and biases and things like this. I know we use those phrases all the time, um, but the idea is like you got to it's like know thyself. Mm -hmm. Right. Sun Tzu in The Art of War, he says, know, know yourself and you can fight a thousand battles without peril or something like that. Yeah. The point is, like, how can you how can you go? have incredible extraordinary success if you're constantly asking other people what you should do and these people at best are only going to give you generalized advice with good intentions right like it's, just to be clear here like no one's lying to us right it's just good intention so let me ask a question yeah. this other way right to kind of like drive home this point so paul um the average american male is about 510 so do you buy the average shirt for the average american male it would be a belly shirt for me. So no. <laughs> right? You're six two? Yeah. Right? So the average shirt, the average shirt in America would probably be a little uncomfortable for you. Yes. Yeah. So I I think you had some other examples too to go through. Um I do. The one that really hits for me is should I build a in in a I think the danger here is like, I didn't overtly ask this question. I just started getting around other people that were building a certain type of business. And I, I guess I want to clarify and say all the things that I've learned in masterminds and all this sort of stuff is extremely helpful. Um, it's not like it's wrong, right? We're not, it's, this is, this is always, it depends. None of this is binary. It's all preference based. So I learned a lot of strategies to build businesses that I don't actually want to own. Um, and so, you know, that question of, well, should I try to build a, a volume-based business around, you know, wholesaling, novations, retail, all that type of stuff? Or should I build 
a home run hitting type business? And the answer is, of course, it depends. And let me say one more thing. It's not all or nothing, right? It doesn't have to be this like, well, I'm either doing this or I'm doing this. Um, there's, there's levels to this, man, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, no, definitely. And I think that's, that was actually something I was going to ask, right? But you already touched on it. But like the mastermind is super valuable. I would attribute a good, healthy chunk of my success to being in a mastermind. All we're saying is, first, be aware of your own biases, your own preferences, and then sift and sort, right? Does this apply to me? Would me adding this marketing medium get me closer to my solvable problem? Does this, mm -hmm. is this something that would be in alignment with the lifestyle? That's what we talked about yesterday on part of the disruption, right? Like, if you want to get into wholesaling, if you're listening and you haven't started wholesaling, you want to get into wholesaling, ask yourself the question. Does what these guys talk about align with the lifestyle that I want? Right? Because right. if it doesn't, then you shouldn't do it. Like we're, we're fortunate to live in a country where you shouldn't have to do something that you're miserable doing. Right? You can yeah. find something. You can do something that makes you fulfilled. This isn't chase your purpose, chase your passion. I think those are all great things. But that's just too... Too simple of a statement. There's a lot more to it than that. Yeah. Well, and let me let me just like I'm extremely biased. So so you might be listening to this and you may not struggle with this. So I'm speaking strictly from my perspective. I have an unreasonable tendency to skip, collect, and analyze. You know, we've talked about case, collect, analyze, strategize, execute. It's an acronym to help us like hopefully make less mistakes. Right. And the reason why this happened to me is because I didn't take the time to identify this glaringly obvious bias that I carry, which is like shiny object syndrome is another way of saying that. Or you could just call it in another sentence, like get rich quick, right? You, you hear this strategy and all of a sudden you're like, ooh, I could probably do that. I think that I could make some money doing that. The and inner so you just squirrel. do it. Inner squirrel is really powerful. The inner squirrel. That's great. I have a terrible inner squirrel. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he never shuts off. He never shuts off. Even when I think that I'm, like, reasoning from the bottom up, I, <laughs> I have to have people like you and people like the folks in the whale club to be able to be like, dude, you're doing it again. You're jumping right to strategize and execute, and you haven't considered how does this fit with your solvable problem what rules do you need to do? And so the answer really is like, what rules do you need to define up front so that you don't let this happen anymore? So one of the things that I've done now is anytime I'm going to a mastermind event, I am like furiously writing down what my solvable problem is, what the rules, like you are only allowed to do one thing that you hear here. And you've got to run it through the four, four lenses that we talk about in case. Uh, I don't know if, if we want to elaborate on that today, but the point is like you have to figure out and get clear on your own biases up front, because if you're like me, you're just going to be like, ooh, squirrel and, and see that shiny object or whatever that thing is. And you'll start chasing it. But again, identifying that bias has helped me doesn't mean that I'm not subject to it just because I'm aware of it doesn't mean that I don't make that mistake over and over and over again. Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the biggest things is learning about ourselves because I, I shared about it last week right it's like this idea that just because we teach it just because we've learned it just because we've gotten better at it does not mean we've mastered it right like this, the mistakes i've made i look back and it's just laughable it's like i did that again <laughs> i can't yeah. believe i did that again yeah what are some questions or i should say what is a decision that you've had to make lately mm -hmm. that was by conventional wisdom, not the right quote, right answer, mm -hmm. but it was right for you. And how are you able to identify that? Hmm. Uh, well, I could say for sure. Uh, without a doubt, it was cutting marketing last year. Everybody said cutting marketing is a mistake. And by the way, on the outside looking in, I would generally say cutting marketing 
is a mistake, right? Um, so I would say there was two of them actually. One is we cut marketing, and B, we didn't let anyone go. I would say those two things are the ones that went completely against the grain, right? Because uh, you and I were on a call where a very well-respected person said, you got to cut expenses, right? But the expenses he cut were people, right? Uh, and I'm not saying that's the wrong way to do it. It's just I don't like – I have a really hard time letting go of people that I feel like I owe them. I need to take care of them, right? And that is not a common mindset, but it's something that for me, I don't know why. I just feel like I have to, like, you know, take care of everybody. So yeah. I think there's that. And then cutting marketing. Everyone said you're insane for cutting marketing. Now is the time to double down, right? Market's cold. Everyone's scared. Now is the time to double down. Well, for me, I'm at a point where until I met you, right, until I met you, if you look at the risk bar, the slider on risk, it was at 99.9999, right? The only time I'll ever say no is if there's a possibility of death, right? Like Total, I, complete devastation and ruin. Right. So I won't jump out of a plane. I'm not going spelunking. I know we can reduce the risk, but it's not zero, right? Um, there's a non-zero chance of dying, right? So if I'm going to take a risk. I'm going to go for it. And it wasn't until I met you and as a result met Nick and Dan and learned about solvable problem and giving myself permission to reduce risk because until I met you guys, I was always willing to just keep going, you know, like double down, double down, triple down, let's go, right? And so for me, as the market shifted and I was learning about solvable problem, don't get blown up, this and that, I said, you know, for me, it is more important to survive this winter than it is to be gobbling up market share. But if you talked to me a year and a half ago, I guess 12 months ago even, I would say double down. Down market is a time to increase market share. You know, like, uh, you know, what was it? Um, it's uh, burn the boats. It's, you know, fire everything. Like, let's go, right? So it's just, I would say that is where I'm definitely going against the grain. And consensus is do not cut back on marketing, double down. Mm. That's really good. And so what are, so the, the second wealth commandment is that, uh, is preference versus binary. We have to remember that. But the third is that every decision has an infinite number of trade-offs. And what that means to me is that when you choose to do one thing, you're eliminating a whole infinite number of possible things you could have done with your time or resource or whatever it is. And I want to sort of tie this trade-off conversation back into the timer acronym that we've used. So for those that aren't familiar with it, we use an acronym and that's actually a timer. Um, so a is attention, time, influence, money, energy, and reputation or relationships. And so when we make decisions on quote, right or wrong, what you're not counting for is the uh, are the other currencies that are there. You know, it's I mean, it's not all about money, right? Nope. Some of us value our impact or our relationships in a different way than other business owners might. Sounds like, uh, and I'm labeling you here, Chris Voss. I learned this technique from you. Sounds like what you're saying is that uh, you valued longevity and being able to take care of your people more than you did the profitability potentially of that particular organization. Yeah. The essence of people over profits. Right. And not everybody sees business that way. Yeah. So when you ask, what should I do? What they're going to do is they're going to tell you their preferences, mm -hmm. which is like, you should cut expenses. You should fire these employees. You should, you know, batten down the hatches as a big storm's coming. Yeah. You know, I can't tell you how many times I heard that. Right. And that may be true for them in that context, but they don't know what you're optimizing for. Exactly right. Right. And again, we were talking about earlier, you know, like you're answering questions based off multiple factors, one of which is market. I took this into account, right? I think Phoenix is one of the first markets to get hit. <clears throat> and I genuinely believe that Phoenix will be one of the first markets to see sunlight, right? When things turn around. And I am just weathering the storm for that. How about uh, 
you know, there's a lot of guys and girls that are that get into real estate through the single family residential route. Right. We come in. There's a lot of reasons, I think, why a lot of people do that. One, for me, at least, it was a low barrier of entry. Like I can get in and I can start slinging deals and we can get going. Um, but there's this next level right? That mm-hmm. then you start learning about and you see these guys that are playing at a whole different level. And it's, it's the commercial world. It's the multifamily world. It's the, you know, capital raises and all these fun phrases and words that make you sound smart. And like, um, I'm dealing with this kind of sh- pivot. I wouldn't say pivot, but just like point in my life. Well, what I'm saying is I'm not positive. The single family realm is going to actually help me do the types of deals and align my life with what I, what I'm doing right now in single family. It's a grind. It's a mm-hmm. lot of work to do oh, this yeah. volume. Um, and you know, what attracts me again, as the whale hunter to, uh, to these larger deals is that you can make big rips. I mean, you can make half a million, 500, you know, a million dollars. I mean, I was with Chandler saying last night at dinner and he was telling me about all about these premier guys who were pulling in like tens of millions of dollars a year in that market. Mm-hmm. And first thing I've like, you know, my squirrel brain is like, ooh, ooh, more money. Yeah. So I am, I am now starting to go right back through the beginning of this process. And thank God I have, you know, this book rigging the game Mm -hmm. and this operating system and a community now in the whale club that can actually help me make these decisions because more is not always better. Um, And I'm just right in the middle of this process trying to say, "Well, well, what would that look like? And Let's not listen. Let's not try to seek consensus from all these other people, but like, let's get clear on, well, what is it that I want? What is right. my solvable problem? And then we start to reason through like, okay, then what are the best strategies to actually help me accomplish that? Yeah. I mean, definitely. Right. It's an opportunity. I see a lot of people do it. I mean, I'm friends with people that do it. Right. And I can definitely pursue that opportunity. But the question is, what am I willing to give up? And those are the kind of questions I've asked myself. Right. Um, I have, and this is a preference thing, right? Like if I want to go in this direction in the multifamily, not that there's anything wrong with that at all. I think that's definitely an amazing opportunity for a lot of people. Here are the questions I have to ask myself. Do I enjoy raising private capital? Do I want to go, uh, refocus or, you know, shift the priorities of everyone within our organization? Because it's not like we can do single family and multifamily, or we could, but probably not the best way to handle it, right? So we're going to shift all our focus. And then are we prepared to really abandon our wholesaling community, which I've been leading for four and a half years, right? Because that's, uh, you know, talking about like we didn't want to let go of a bunch of people, I kind of feel like, uh, and this could be completely ridiculous, you know, like attached to this community. Do I want to like, hey guys, it's been a fun run. I'm no longer doing this. I'm going over here. Right. Yeah. So those are part of the considerations I've asked questions I've asked myself. Mm-hmm. I mean, what what are the currencies you'd be giving up in the timer model? Uh well, definitely time, definitely attention, definitely money, energy, uh relationships. Um let's see, what was the one? I mean, influence. I would say I would give them all six. I, that's 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 so funny to hear you say that because, like, I I think I agree with you. You making that switch, you'd be you'd be trading. You might make more money, may, potentially the potential mm-hmm. to make more money, you know. Um, yeah. but you'd be giving up all this influence, all these relationships, all this, you know, uh, you know, attention. I I mean, think about how much attention you have in the single family space. Right. You'd be giving all that up to just be like sorry, I'm going to go after something different. Yeah. Right. But if you ask, if you ask somebody in the multifamily space, they'll be like, Oh, you got to get into multifamily, man. It's the place to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think it's kind of like, (laughs) um, you're about the age where all your friends have kids and they're trying to convince you to have kids. Uh, yeah. (laughs) Right. But then there's, there's also this suffering that's associated with having kids. Right. Cause I see like, my wife was telling me, oh, yeah, you know, her friend, she's going to Singapore, Vietnam, and uh, I think Thailand, and 
There was another one it starts with an M. Anyway, like she's going to all these countries. Like, and in my in my head, I'm like, must be great not having kids, right? Right. But then <laughs> you have all these other people like that have kids. Like, when are you gonna have a kid? Like, it's life changing. And it's like the joke is like it's kind of like you secretly want people to suffer with you. Right. Yeah. I mean. That's such a good one. I mean, I'm, I'm definitely feeling that from a lot of our friends right now. Like you got to have kids or how about your parents being like, when are you guys going to have kids? Yeah. Like, well, we're practicing first of all. So leave me alone. But <laughs> secondly, it'll happen when it happens. Um, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, there's just so much danger in like letting other people make your decisions for you before you've, before you've gotten clear on what it is that you want. And so I want to be clear we're not saying, I'm not saying don't ask for advice. That is not the message here. The message here is that like, it's, it should not be your, your, your first thing that you do. And that is, I've found in my experience with my own life, I have a tendency to do that because I don't want to take the time to get clear on the things that I want to get clear on because I have such a massive, strong bias towards skipping, collect, and analyze. It's like, what would you do if you were me? Just tell me what I can do so I don't have to do any of that other stuff. Mm-hmm. And I can just go execute on what you think is best for my life. Right. And I think the other thing, I think, so there's two things here, right? So you're saying definitely ask for advice, right? So again, it's not don't ask for advice. It's really two things. A, be very clear that you know what you want. We call it a solvable problem from our good friend and mentor, Dan Nicholson, right? Go to riggingamazon.com if you want to check out that book. Right. So I think that's the first thing. Right? Being very clear what you want. And then B, make sure you're asking the right people. Right. Yes. It's not, you got to find someone. We, we say this all the time, right? Find a mentor that resonates with you. Find someone that's living a life that you want to live. Right. So, you know, if you want a Lambo and a nice watch, go get coached by don't those guys. To, don't listen to me. <laughs> yeah. Don't listen to me. Right. Uh, if you want someone that spends a lot of time with their family, right, I can help with that. Right. You want someone that's doing pop tops. And living with a lot of certainty, Paul can help with that, right? It's, it's not don't get advice. Make sure you're getting advice from people after you know what you want and B, that people are doing more or less or have the ability to help you get you what you want. Yeah, that's so good. It, it's, it's, it's just don't do it first, right? Because you're, you're trying to ask a binary question. You're asking a preference question as if there's a right or wrong. There's... The majority of times, if you can't go on Google and type in, uh, you know, what should I do? Should I go into multifamily? I, although ChatGPT might have a completely different answer than <laughs> Google would. And so crazy world we're living in here, folks. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, seeking consensus is all about the root of that is not uh, getting clear on the things that you want and asking questions as if there's a right or wrong answer. But it always, almost always, it depends. Depends on what you want. Depends on your strengths. Depends on your risk tolerance. I mean, there's an infinite number of things that must be considered here. And if you're asking somebody that hasn't done the things that you want to do, they're going to give you what they think is best. And it's generalized advice in most cases. You know, this is going to be kind of ironic here, but, you know, I'm going to insert it here. If you guys are interested, you know, as far as, like, we have a community where we're going through these exercises together, Right. It's the whale club. So, you know, if this sounds like kind of conversation you don't be a part of, uh, you can fill out the, the, the wait list uh, in our Google and our YouTube description or uh, go to realestatecertainty.com. Right. So uh, if you guys are interested in having these conversations even further. So let me ask you another question, Paul. Should I use chat GPT for my business? Well, it depends. <laughs> And I'm so glad we went down this track because it's, it's reminding me of, I'm just going to, I'm going to ignore your question. We're going to come back to it. Well, that question is popping off left and right, right? That's the reason it why is I brought popping it off left and right. And, and I will use another example to illustrate and we'll come right back to it. I can't tell you how many people, people know us or they know me oftentimes as like blockchain, right? We do some, some stuff in the blockchain world. And so I could, the number of, I would be a millionaire if I had a freaking dollar every time somebody asked me this, what coin should I buy? <laughs> yeah. And I'm always like, well, it depends. <laughs> and, then, and then they're like, hmm, that's not the answer I was looking for. Yeah. Just tell me when, how, you know, what coin to buy and when moon, right? <laughs> yeah. And it's like, 
asking questions like that um, just goes to show that the majority of people want to skip the collect and analyze phase and just tell me which coin to buy, you know? Um, so back to your chat GPT question, should I use chat GPT in my business? I don't know. What problem are you trying to solve? Right? Yeah. Um, and we just, we, the point is, is we've got a reason from the bottom up. We've got to stop reasoning from like, Hey, here's this thing. Should I, should I do it or not? I have no idea. What does that have anything to do with you? What does chat GPT have anything to do with you and your life? Uh, it probably does, but like, let's answer those questions first. Yeah. You know, so I ask myself and let's run through the exercise. One of the things that I want in life, my solvable problem, I don't think I've shared this on air. I really only share this inside the world club. I'm happy to do it is to get $350,000 a year with working less than 20 hours a week work anywhere I want, whenever I want, so that I can play business as a sport. Because I love technology. I love doing deals. I love partnering with people. I just love playing, uh, playing business as a sport. Okay, cool. What are your biases? The biases is to just be like, let's figure out how to in implement this right into my business right now. Let's just go do it. Like Inject it, it right into my heart. <laughs> exactly. So, okay, slow down there, Turbo. Right. Slow down. What are your biases and what are your preferences? Well, I am trying to design a business that I have to only work at 20 hours a week. So does something that can help me automate a lot of my processes, does something that can help me potentially automate a lot of my sales and outbound, you know, prospecting, marketing, would that help me get closer to my to the things that I want in life? Yes, it would. Okay. So now we talk about, well, you're going to do something new. Do we have a preponderance of data? I'm just flying through the, the tools right now. Uh -huh. So if you guys haven't heard all this, it's like, I, I get it. You probably aren't familiar with this, but go back and listen to our other stuff or join the wheel club and you'll find out. Yeah. But the point is, is like, well, do we have a preponderance of data? No, we don't. This has not, this is a brand new technology. So what do we do? Absence of preponderance of data. We take micro steps. It means... What can I do to take really small steps uh, to see if this is going to add value to my business, to see how it might incorporate? So what am I doing? I'm just fiddling around with it. Like I'm playing around with it in my free time. I'm using it to write uh, newsletters. I'm using it to generate um, random texts that I can send to sellers and different things like this. Chandler and I were talking last night about how could we get ChatGPT to tell us what areas of town are zoned for a certain thing, right? And then how does that lay in with the future land use plans for the city so we can figure out, hey, this is zoned R2, but they want it zoned R3. Give me all those names. Wow, interesting, mm -hmm. right? So we're not going out and just like gangbusters have been installing this all over our business. We're trying to take micro steps and understand how to get feedback first. Yeah. I think you probably just started another squirrel epidemic with that, with that last one. Yeah, probably so. So <laughs> hope. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. I, uh, I love technology, man. I'm telling you blockchain chat, GPT, AI, you know, I was just at a mass timber conference today. If the squirrel brain isn't obvious to you guys by now, like classic stuff from Paul constantly mm. chasing the next thing, you know, but now I just, at least I have like some filters to run it through yeah, that might be cool and all, but how do I actually make use of this to help me get closer to the things that I want? That's really the frame that we need to have when we're considering anything new. Yeah, and this kind of goes back to what we were talking about last week, right? Like, Paul and I have a bias towards taking action, and there's nothing wrong with a bias for taking action. There's nothing wrong with having a bias for not taking action, right? All, our, all we're saying is that if you're like us, we have a bias for taking action and leaping before looking... There's a few things we suggest you look at first. That's really all we're talking about here, right? Yep. How can we make sure that we take a jump that's safer, not, not injury-free, not 100% risk-free, right? There's none of these things. It's like, how can, we, how can we take it where the downside hurts a little, but if we stick it, the upside's amazing? Mm. Yep, exactly. So 
before you consider anything, uh, before you consider asking someone else, what should you do? Just make sure you've gotten clear on what you're actually trying to accomplish with your life. You know, and I get that 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 may sound like a really daunting task. Um, and that's probably another completely another podcast where we talk about, you know, what do I do if I'm if I don't know what I want out of life? What do I do if I don't have clarity on? And that used to like stress me out. Like, shouldn't I know by now what my You're goal is? Man. What my you should know what my purpose is. Yeah. <laughs> well, what I found is that that's a moving target. Okay. So trying to be super rigid as if that's a binary thing, it's right or wrong. You either know it or you don't know it. Guess what? Even the people, my, my coach, Dr. Jeff, his solvable problem is still evolving, right? It's, yeah. it's what he calls the life lens. In different decades of your life, you've got different uh, tendencies. Your biology has tendencies towards certain things. In your 30s, it's to what he calls acquisition. Right. So when you're in your 30s, you're trying to your natural tendency is to want to acquire things. Um, so the point is, is like, don't stress out too much about if you don't have clarity on your solvable problem. You do want to try to get something to aim at. Right. We don't want to start making decisions where we're aimlessly wandering around. But but realize that 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 can change. Give yourself permission to change your mind. Give yourself position to adjust as you get more feedback. Yeah, exactly right. And. Again, guys, if you guys are interested, we do talk about this within the Whale Club with other peers that you know are interested in identifying their solvable problem. And we're actually working through the exercise together as a community right now. If you guys are interested, go to realestatecertainty.com. Again, a big favor I'm asking, right? Put your six-word updates in the comments. Uh, and with that, we'll wrap up here. And then we'll see you guys all next week. Bye, everyone.